So welcome to the Future Show. This is Gerd Leonard, your host. Uh, it's a very special show tonight. Um, I've known Colm for quite some time, and I've read most of his books, and he, he's, a, he's a really amazing guy. And I'm so happy he's joining us tonight for the special edition to where we're having a battle of the minds, as we call it. Uh, we are friends despite of uh, several different opinions, and we'll be talking a lot more about that. Uh, so we have managed a perfect background here with a fancy fireplace, and after a lot of renovation, uh, this is what you get now. <laughs> so thanks very much for joining us. It's a great pleasure. We are live on YouTube, and of course, we're live on Zoom. Uh, everything you put in here, comments, questions, polls, whatever it is, the polls are anonymous, but everything is public, okay? And you know what happens with Facebook and Google, they know everything about you. So, so uh, whatever, if you don't wanna say anything that's public, if you have security issues, don't mention anything. Uh, I should also say there is a way to call in on, you, on Zoom with a telephone, you know, even a landline you can plug in, and, you know, if you wanna keep it really safe and, and call the toll free number on Zoom if you're worried about security. So again, welcome very much to the show. A couple of basic things to explain and then we dive right into it, okay? So um, the images are mirrored. I'm gonna, we're gonna change this. I think, uh, let's try this again, the mirroring. Okay, well, I'm not gonna worry, worry about the technical things right now. So let's dive into this. So maybe um, just to uh, reiterate in the beginning, we are interested in interactivity, so we want to talk to you. We're not going to talk ourselves the whole time. We're not going to make traditional presentations. Uh, this is a very interactive and fast environment. Uh, we're going to use the question tool, Q&A, at the bottom. Right? That's the primary way of how you can ask questions. And you also get to upvote other people's questions. So if you want to uh, determine what we're going to say uh, and what we're going to answer, then basically use the question tool. You can use the chat to talk to us and to talk to Soha, our moderator, which I will introduce shortly. Uh, and she is in charge. Soha, why don't you come into the screen here for a second? So this is Soha Rashid. As you can see, she uh, also has a fancy background. Um, so Soha is the moderator and she's an, uh, an associate futurist with my company, the Futures Agency. And she's been instrumental at running this event. Soha is the, the, the key person who allows people in and out, right? Uh, that goes for questions, chats. She will also share some links. Um, and all that stuff. So thank you, Soha. And um, so after the show, you're going to be able to download this, of course, from YouTube, if you wish, but also at my blog, futuristgerd.com. There'll be a blog post in about two hours, and I assume the same goes for Callum. So we're going to have video, audio, we'll have the polls, we have some of the Q&A, we have uh, everything else that you need to know after the show. And of course, there's an email tomorrow with a summary. Everybody gets an automatic email, okay? So, um, Callum, um, great to have you here. Uh, we are going today in the following order. I'm going to do roughly a five minute introduction using some fancy backgrounds I have devised. Uh, and then Callum will talk for about five, six minutes as well about his position. You know, we are in the battle of uh, transhumanist versus humanist, if any such thing can be easily identified. Right? Uh, and I think for the, for the kickoff, what we'd like to do is to do a short poll and find out what your position is on transhumanism. And of course, we'll shortly explain what that actually is, transhumanism, uh, and the same goes for humanism. But uh, let's take a look at the poll. Okay, the poll is coming right now. And this poll should be launching in your window right now. This is multiple choice. It's anonymous. Uh, so please do participate in the poll. Let us know who you are 
And basically, uh, the question is, are you a transhuman? Are you just a human? <laughs> or do you care less about providing an answer? Um, please do go ahead and vote. Let us know what you're thinking so we know who you are on the other end. I know there's quite, few, quite a few people who are in the uh, official, parenthesis, transhumanist movement, uh, which is great. So we can have a, a juicy debate later. Um, oh, I forgot to mention one thing while the poll is running. If you want to speak, actually speak, you know, like, like we do, make sure your audio and your video is ready. If you don't have video, it's okay, but your audio has to be ready. Make sure you're not in the, uh, in the Delhi subway at the time of the call uh, or somewhere quiet would be nice. And if you do speak, please don't uh, just raise the hand to say hello that you're calling in from Colombia or something, but actually have a question or a comment. You have 30 seconds to speak and uh, so I will moderate that as well. So there's a hand raising tool right on the screen. You can use whether you use an iPhone or an iPad, just hit the screen, raise your hand and then we know who wants to talk, okay? Uh, so the poll is coming in, 72% have voted. We have 20% transhumanists, well, that's a high number. Uh, and we have 27% saying they don't know what to think about transhumanism, right? Uh, yeah, that's quite an obvious question. Um, and, and there's a, quite a few people thinking the entire de debate is odd, it's neither nor, and I will actually share the the poll with you shortly. I'll just give you one more second here to actually express yourself here. Um, and then I'm going to share this with you. Uh, the polls are happening pretty quickly. So we have three different polls. We're going to do the same one again later. So uh, if you want to change your mind who you are, <laughs> you're welcome to do so. Uh, but whatever poll comes up, please vote quickly because we're not going to spend much time on just keeping it up there. So I'm going to end the poll and share, okay? So you can see for yourself what the results are. Uh, this is one of the things that we can do online really nicely. Okay, so an interesting mix of people. It's really great to have you here. Let's start here and uh, go into the introduction. Uh, Callum, do you want to say something right now or do you want me to just proceed or? Well, you are muted. I have to unmute you first. Yes, Callum does, doesn't get to talk until we unmute him. There he is. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome and good. Why don't you carry on? You're doing a great job. <laughs> okay, thanks. I love the fireplace, really cool. All right, so uh, I want to start here, right? So basically what I see happening these days um, is, you know, we're living in this world that's surrounded by technology. And I call this the mega shifts and the, you know, all the stuff that's around the big data, AI and all these things. And just to define humanism, you know, I think humanism really is all about the agency of human beings, right? The value of the agency of human beings uh, not in the sense of the uh, uh, the Anthropocene, you know, overdone it, right? But in the sense of personal freedom and progress and purpose. And this is, of course, Wikipedia. Now, there's many things that are funny about Wikipedia. But what I see here is, you know, I've talked about this many times in the last couple of weeks with the corona crisis. I see sort of the great transformation of uh, this time that we're in is a great transformation. And this is why it's perfect to have this debate about, you know, uh, how human are we and what's going to happen with all the technology that is essentially spinning around us and, and taking us in different directions. And so the other side of the equation, right, the idea of becoming superhuman, you know, omnipresent, omnipotent, here's from uh, Natasha Moore and her colleagues, I think from the 90s even, the Humanity Plus Declaration, right? 
So the include, uh, inclusion of techniques that are able to assist memory, concentration, and all of those things basically becoming transcending humanity, transcending human limitations as the picture shows. That's the flip side that um, Callum will talk about in person. But uh, this is really what I see as the current challenge. Right? We clearly are in a world where uh, technology and humanity are overlapping. Hence my book, you know, a couple of years ago, Technology Versus Humanity. It, and we're increasingly collaborating, especially now, you know, technology clearly is the, the winner of the entire COVID-19 crisis. Um, so I wonder where that's going. And I, I wonder about this in particular, the idea that part of what we are is data, right? It's of course, biology. But how much of that do you think could be learned by a computer? You know, how computable are we? This is one of the key questions I have. And if we are computable, how long will it take for us to be computed, so to speak? Right? Uh, and how Ray Kurzweil says 2050, right? The singularity, the overlap of man and machine, how, how is that going to go? And, and how, what are we going to gain? What are we going to lose? Big part of the discussion today. Gain, for example, is medical, clearly. If we have data, we have information, we have our DNA and the cloud, we can compare. We stand to live longer, be much healthier. What goes with the data, though, is this, right? It's the kind of what I, what's been called dataism, you know, believing that the data is better than anything else. And of course, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, for example, keeps talking about how important data is. But then the other day, he said, you know, for all the really important decisions, I don't use data. I I use my intuition. <laughs> so, how computable are we? This is a key question I want to discuss with Callum and with you guys later. Are we just data? You know. Uh, organisms or algorithms, you know, Harari. Where is that going to go? And that kind of makes me think about what the next step would be. Um, and I'm a little bit worried about this. You know, I'm a little bit worried about technology kind of sucking in all the things that make us human that are not data. You know, intuition, imagination, emotions, understanding, free will. That's no, that's a big word we'll discuss later. <laughs> Empathy, uh, judgment, all of the things. And what currently technology is doing is offering us in return all of the things that are verifiable, you know, data, algorithms, automation, efficiency. And my concern is, and I'm, I'm hoping to discuss that later, is that this is a fantastic business, you know, turning humans into data. Uh, but is it good for us? What about the mystery, you know, the uncertainty, the serendipity? Right? In this transformation that we're seeing now, like this, how far would you go? How far should we go? How far could we go? I mean, my view on that is, again, to be discussed later, we could probably go very far. I mean, the science will be there in, in not too long of a time, quantum computing, all those things. But how far should we take this? Will it make us happy to become superhuman? Will it make us happy to change our genome? CRISPR-Cas9, longevity, also discussion for later. Big topics for me, because I think, you know, if you're sick, clearly, this would be humongous if we, can, if we can solve cancer. But would we use the same technology to build super soldiers? And how would we avoid this? I know I'm asking a lot of questions here, but you know, that's kind of an open topic. I think this, you know, this, sorry, the ethics council, right, this idea that I've set forth for years, how are we going to make sure that we do things that are good for the majority of us? Not just good for money, not good for some people, you know, that create equality, how are we going to do that? Or are we going to end in a world like this? One of my favorite gifts. <laughs> it's like becoming like God, so to speak. Right? 
obviously a very big question as well. Are we going to become super potent, powerful? And is technology going to put us in the world where we perceive it as a present, which in many cases that's true, but then it turns out to be a bomb. You know, it turns out to be something that is destructive, like Facebook, right? kind of a present and now it's a bomb. And how do we control it? You know, how do we make sure technology is with us? To quote my colleague, uh, Douglas Rushkoff, who may join us later, actually, I don't know if he has time for a short comment on this. He wrote a book called Team Human, and I talked about Team Human for quite some time, also in a parallel track, really. But this is the question I have. You know, are we going to be on Team Human? Are we going to be on Team Robot? Or is that the same? And if we're going to be on Team Human, would we do things that can be done? Would we not do them because we wish to be human? Very big questions. I'm sure there's some answers from the audience. But this is the primary point I'm worried about when I talk about transhumanism. Is it going to make us happier? Of course, we don't really know what happiness is, right? Self-realization, contentment, you know, all the things that make us human. Perma, as uh, Martin Seligman says, you know, purpose, engagement, relationships. Are computers good with relationships? Moravec paradox says uh, whatever is easy for a computer is hard for a human and vice versa. Should we keep it that way? I would vote for going into a direction where we can maintain technology as the key to progress. Right? But on the other hand, you know, I, I would propose that the things that make us human, what I call in my book the androbithms, right, the, the human things, right, that we focus on those as well. And that we don't try to automate them, and that we respect them. That we don't transcend humanity in that sense. Right? We transcended technology. And that's, of course, a big argument. I'm very happy to discuss with you later. Um, this kind of concludes my introduction. And uh, I know I've thrown up a lot of questions, but I'm hoping for some answers and for, for a good debate later. So uh, let's go back to our gallery view and uh, see what everybody else is doing, if you guys are still there. Yeah, OK, Callum, please take over from here. I'm going, yeah, you're unmuted, good. Great. Well, thank you very much indeed, Gert. That's a really interesting runaround, and you've thrown up an enormous amount of issues. I can't believe we'll get through all that in an hour, but we'll, we'll give it a go. So, um, hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. Um, my name is Callum Chase, and with a deplorable lack of humility, I call myself the AI guy because I've been obsessed with the implications of rapidly improving AI for most of my life. I published my first article on technological unemployment in 1980. And since then, I've written a bunch of books on AI, including the two bestsellers behind me. And after a 30-year career in business, I spent the last few years as a global keynote speaker and author on the subjects of our future with AI. Um, I do this to pay the bills, of course, but also because I really love doing it, but mostly because I've got something to say. And it's this, most people have not yet really understood that the rate of change is accelerating. They hear it said, and occasionally they see a compelling example, but they don't really believe it. They don't feel it in their bones. Now, the truth is our technology is improving at an exponential rate. And in the course of this century, it will change everything about the nature of being human. And I believe we should not be passive about this. We should prepare. I think this is the century of two singularities, and my two main books cover these in turn. Um, the, the book, The Economic Singularity, does what it says on the tin. It covers the economic singularity. 
And this is what happens when machines become so advanced, so capable, that they can do pretty much anything that we humans can do for money. This won't happen for two, probably three decades, but we should start to prepare for it now. And we should definitely prepare for the accelerating churn in the job market that will precede it. The other book, Surviving AI, is about the technological singularity, uh, which is what happens when we create an artificial general intelligence, a machine which has all the cognitive abilities of an adult human. It quickly becomes a superintelligence, which is either the very best or the very worst thing ever to happen to humanity. Now, I've just finished drafting the third edition of Surviving AI, and I'm going to give away some copies, some uh, Kindle versions of it, uh, so to the first 10 or maybe more people who send their emails into the address that Soha will be putting up. Uh, I'll send Mobi files of, of that third edition. Now, Gertz and my topic today is transhumanism. I'm very happy to identify as a transhumanist, but I want to emphasize something up front. I am not a spokesperson for any transhumanist organization. I'm a member of H+, and I've had the privilege to get to know quite a few of the foundational figures of transhumanism, and I count some of them as friends. But I don't speak on their behalf uh, or on behalf of the movement as a whole. I take transhumanism to mean the belief that we should transform the human condition by developing and making widely available sophisticated technologies to greatly enhance human intellect and physiology. During this century, technologies like AI, smart drugs, genetic manipulation, and nanotechnology will make it possible to improve the experience of being human astonishingly. And I think we should do this. Some people will not want to, and they probably shouldn't be forced to, but they should also not be empowered to stop those of us who do. The result, I think, is that we will stop being human, according to most sensible definitions of that word. We will be post-humans, and I think we should accept that and even welcome it. I'd say again, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not what every transhumanist think, but it, it's what I think. And I think it's where Gert and I disagree most strongly. I, I discussed this before with Gert, and I love discussing it with him because he challenges my assumptions and conclusions strongly, and he's extremely good at disagreeing amiably. So I'm excited to be part of this discussion, and thank you again for tuning in. All right. Wow. You're starting it off with a, with a, with a hardball there. Okay, stop being human, right? Um, there's one concern I have about this discussion about who defines, that's one thing. And the other one is like, what if some of us are superhuman and other ones are not by choice, right? Wouldn't we by choice become second rate humans, like in terms of work and employment? Wouldn't we have a disadvantage by not choosing to upgrade, right? And what would that do, us, do to us in terms of economics? Uh, and in terms of everything else, right? I mean, imagine a time to where, you know, you can connect real time to Wikipedia or whatever it will be then, right? And you're a super smart speaker and I'm still the lame guy that I am now uh, trying to look at my written notes. You know, that, that would put me at significant disadvantage. And so how do you feel about, you know, I don't think it can be either or. I think we can't just say, you do whatever you want, I do whatever I want. You know, I think that will be difficult and, and hence, I think we need some sort of counsel on finding at least some sort of mainstream 
there'll always be people who are not in the mainstream, like cryonics right now is obviously not a mainstream, but people are doing it, right? Um, so that is a question I have for you. How would you propose to do this? So it is clearly possible to concoct a scenario in which uh, you get some pretty dystopian outcomes because of the, the difference between people who have enhanced themselves and people who haven't. Um, Yuval Harari, who is kind of like a gentleman thug, has a very nice phrase for it. He calls, calls it the, the gods and the useless. Now, if, if humanity speciates, splits into two separate species, that's, that's clearly potentially dangerous. But it, I think it's a long way off, a very long way off. People worry sometimes now about the digital divide. And they used to worry probably about the fridge divide. And possibly in prehistory, people used to worry about the fire divide. But if a technology is really powerful and really useful, it gets democratized very quickly. The smartphone's a great example, still only about 10 years old. Uh, when it first came out, I remember the first time I saw an iPhone, I thought it was a piece of magic. Uh, I saw the price tag and I thought, I'm not going to buy one of those. Well, but Caleb, you, you do have to admit that technology has not brought us equality in any, in, in, in fact, it's made it worse, right? I don't, no, but, I, don't, I don't have to admit that. You don't agree? I mean, if, no. if, we, if we're looking at the current scenario, what's happening, basically, it's, uh, it's uh, digital feudalism, right? It's made no. me able to send free messages or listen to free music. But generally speaking, it has not produced equality. I, I completely disagree. Um, really, technology, the, the real start of technology was the Industrial Revolution. Obviously, the Agricultural Revolution was a, a technological explosion. But in terms of really making a difference to humanity, the Industrial Revolution was, was where we really got going. And since the Industrial Revolution, and particularly in the last 50 years or so, the experience of being human, for most humans, has, has improved enormously. Uh, and a, a relatively poor person today in the West, certainly, and actually also a lot in the developing economies, lives a better life than a king did 200, 300, 400 years ago. 400 years ago, we did have feudalism in, in a lot of the world. We certainly don't have feudalism now in, in the West and pretty much not in... in yeah, in economics, I, I, would, I would agree with you. By the way, Callum, if you could put... I lift up the microphone a little bit. Take the take the sticky stuff off. It's not working. Okay. Failed. Okay. <laughs> a lot of people saying that you are scratching. So you maybe just lift this up just a tiny bit. You know. So these are the things that we're starting with in terms of technology. Right? We can talk about transhumanism, but we can't control our microphones. Yeah, you, you are you are the god, and I am the useless <laughs> when it comes to the technology. <laughs> so uh, that was actually I want to respond to this, but I think we should maybe dive into a question and catalyze this a little bit. By the way, there's lots of really interesting people here. I know Jose Codairo is here, uh, and David Wood is here, and a bunch of other people that we know. If you want to speak, please raise your hand, and we'll pipe you right into this merry club here of, of, uh, of discussion. This is what it's all about. I mean, we don't, we don't pretend to have answers. We're up for an open conversation here. So uh, let's have a look at the Q&A, right? So um, Jose Codairo, five out votes, that's good. Thank you for the questions. Why do I use the word versus in the title of this webinar? Uh, okay, yeah. I, he says, it's, I hope it's only for marketing purposes. Yeah, I would agree, yes. Do you just want to be controversial? Most transhumanists are already humanists. We just go way beyond traditional humanism. Well, you can read it for yourself, but clearly my position is not a versus position. You know, my, my book that came out three years ago 
uh, after a lot of arguments with the publisher back then, uh, who insisted on versus rather and, you know, I wanted to call it technology and humanity. <laughs> so that's my position in general. I don't think it's versus, you know, this is clearly something that we've put together as, as an angle of making it more easy for people to understand. Right? Um, I do believe there is a fundamental disconnect on, at some point, right? But other than that, there's also a lot of connects uh, between transhumanists and my position. Right? My, my position, just to make that clear one more time, is that I am on the pro-actionary side as far as technology goes. You know, trying out stuff to improve our position. I believe that technology holds the key to our future in so many ways. I do think we should have sort of a uh, um, icing on the cake of the precautionary approach, right? And say, well, there are some things that we should probably be more careful about yeah? and that we should agree about as to what we want. I think it was Tim Cook who said a month ago uh, when he was speaking at the European Commission, he said technology can do great things but it does not want to do great things. It doesn't want anything. Right? And, and this is what worries me the most, right? is that we don't have the right intent uh, and, and therefore we go wrong inadvertently like we went wrong with Hiroshima or Nagasaki, uh, you know, a sort of fundamental event. Um, and, and this is something I think we need to get on the same page. And I think there can always be people who are on a different page, just like, like we have today, right? But there has to be some sort of guidance as to what we want in the end, right? Do we want to become machines? Do we want to merge with technology? Do we want everybody to do that? Or do we just, you know, what do you think, Callum? I actually do want to merge with technology. And I am much less interested in remaining human than I think you are. To me, being human is, is simply... A, an animal thing. Uh, a human is an animal which can create more humans with other humans in the traditional way. And I don't think that's the important thing about me or you or anybody else. I think the important thing about us is our minds. If you think about what you could take away from yourself, you could clearly take away your hands, your feet, your legs, your arms, you could whittle away, and I'm sorry, this is a bit brutal, but you could whittle away, I think, all of your body. If you could be the, you know, the, the, the apocryphal brain in a vat, I think you would still be you. But if you took your mind away, you would immediately not be you. Well, I fundamentally disagree with that. You know? Excellent. It's, I think many people in psychology have said that, for example, I think it was Daniel Kahneman who said, you know, we don't think with our brain, we think with our body. I don't think no. that's right. The, 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 brain's, the, brain <laughs> stem, the brain stem goes down the central nervous system. Sorry, the central nervous system goes down to the spine to some, some degree. You could argue that's an extension of the brain. But the brain is clearly the essential uh, creator of a mind. And it's our minds that are the most important things. Now, if in the future it does become possible to upload our minds into computers, I, I think it probably will become possible. Who knows whether it's 100 years ahead, 50 years ahead, or 2,000 years ahead. But let, let's say at some point it happens. I would certainly want to do that because I think the possibility of life as, a, as an uploaded mind would be enormously greater than the possibilities inside this brain, which is limited to its three and a half pounds of goop because of the width of a birth canal. So I, I, I would certainly welcome that expansion. And at that point, I don't actually think we would be human anymore. I think an uploaded mind is going to be post-human. And I, I would welcome that. I think it brings us to the key point of the discussion. Uh, like, 
this idea of are humans data? Are we just like the machines? Are we algorithms? Just very fancy ones, so we don't really know how they work, but ultimately we are, right? And I would say that it could possibly be true. I think it's far away from us actually realizing what that algorithm would entail at the current speed of things, right? But I think in the long run, the question is really not so much about what we can be, what we want, we want to be. Do we, do we want to carve out a special position and are we entitled to it? I mean, many people would say, no, not at all, because we've fucked everything up, right? So we're not actually doing much good. But my argument is, you know, there is, we clearly have to find a way that we agree on 95% of it rather than 2%, because then we could have an arms race, right? I mean, we have an arms race in so many ways already on AI. And what would happen if this was subject to budgets? If this was subject to like longevity, right? You get to live 120 because you know you you making lots of money with speaking gigs, like as do I. That's good, right? But everybody else is still restricted, you know, not not even high speed internet. You know? And and these are issues I think that require some sort of careful handling. Uh, I do want to hear what the audience has to say about this. So please do tune in, not just with question. We have something from David Wood here. And of course, we have David Wood raising the hand, so let's get him in here live. Right? David, are you ready? Can you speak freely? You are live on YouTube, four million people watching, so be careful. David, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Fantastic okay. session. I uh, really appreciate you setting this up. My question, uh, Gert, is about androrisms. I'm not quite sure how you pronounce that wonderful word. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you. There are many wonderful things about humans, which we don't yet understand in terms of algorithms and data and information. So I'm on your side there. But I want to know if you think that all our instincts, all our intuitions, all our human nature needs to be preserved in this form, given that we seem to have inherited from the past features which are no longer very good in this highly complex, highly technological world. For example, we've got uh, instinct towards a sweet tooth. That made sense in old times, but yeah. it doesn't make so much sense today. We had an instinct towards xenophobia, being fearful of people who were different from us. That probably made sense in old times, but it's actually quite destructive today. And we have short-term biases, and it's not just cognitive biases, it's other intellectual, other emotional, instinctual things. So why do you think we have to preserve all of that? without changing it at all? Why can't we take advantage of all our modern insights, our Daniel Kahneman and the technologists and Ray Kurzweil's and Natasha Vitamores and all these people to help us to improve upon our algorithms and go beyond today's humanity into a wonderful, better humanity of the future? Yeah, David, I mean, I, I agree. Of course, we should do that. I, I'm, I'm worried about in the process of this programmability, right? That we would essentially say, we don't need this anymore, we need this instead. And it becomes sort of an option menu, right? And then I'm worried about A, who defines the menu? And B, I'm worried about what I may lose because I thought I don't need this anymore. Yeah? Uh, These and are good questions, absolutely. Yeah. But we shouldn't rule them out of the discussion. We shouldn't say, oh, it's difficult to make up our minds here, therefore we're not gonna touch it. We shouldn't start no, bring in many people like you are doing to start the weighing it up. And we can figure out what are the drawbacks to various mm -hmm. changes and what changes do we want to go ahead. It's true if we interfere with nature, sometimes we get unpleasant surprises. But that doesn't mean to say we should stop trying to interfere. We just have to be wiser and more profound about it. And then gradually we can make big progress. 
Yeah, Callum, please do just chime in when you feel like it. And unmute the button here. Yes, raise your hand. I uh, so uh, please please bring it back. Yeah. So let's just jump in and talk. You know, we don't have to wait your turn. Up, oh, up. Oh, wait, where wait, you... wait. There you are. Okay. Okay. I would like to know where you would draw the line. I mean, you've talked about it being unacceptable to you for people to be born outside the human body, for instance. Um, and would you draw the line at, uh, say, doubling the uh, the intellect of a human? Would you, would you regard that as being a, a step too far? Or how about multiplying the intellect of a human by a thousand times? Where, where would you draw the line? I'm interested to see what, what, what the boundaries of your humanity are. Yeah, uh, very good. But you put me on the spot here. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I believe that there are some things that are differentiated also by whether this is a disease or something that we're trying to address to solve a problem. Like, you know, if I have an accident, I lose both legs. I can get fancy legs if I have the budget. And that's good, right? Should I then say, you know, I want to be a faster mountain climber. I'm going to buy yes. those legs. Yeah, yes, you should, right? because not being, no. able to, not being able to jump from the bottom of Everest to the top of it is a disease. It's a limitation. <laughs> yeah, okay. So on that part, I don't agree. I think that, that is the difference in application, not in terms of technology, right? Uh, and also, I believe, for example, if we're looking for ways to upgrade and to become omnipotent, you know, uh, basically becoming without limitations, then I would also be very concerned about things that dehumanize us as a consequence. For example, I mean, I'm not a woman. I don't have to give birth. I, I grant you that, right? This is a big issue. But the idea of saying that we're going to shortcut a fundamentally human thing, which is to give birth with your body, right, into finding a machine substitute, that is the very definition of dehumanizing. It's not like taking a cholesterol pill or a statin or even a heart transplant. You know, this is it's also entirely voluntary. This is, this this is, is a great yeah. opportunity to ask a woman to join the debate because we haven't. Right, please. Yeah. I'll, I'll, bet yeah. Natasha, I'll bet Natasha's got something to say about Let's that. Let's get Natasha in here. Right. Uh, please, Natasha, please fire away. I think you, are, you have been switched on. Here Hi there, uh, Gerd there and Caleb. Enjoying your, both of your presentations and uh, such a lively discussion. Well, it's interesting because females, women, have been the, the sole bearers of reproduction. And that's historical in the animal species, but not completely a definitive. There are some hermaphrodites, for example, the C. elegans nematode, a small, the most simple animal, doesn't have a woman, a female. It has a hermaphrodite. So if if we say that it's a woman's position or it's been the woman's role historically in our animal species to reproduce, is that a good thing? And when we take a look at the number of births, the high death rate of births over history um, and the circumstances of infertility, which has grown exponentially over the past decades when people want to have birth, it becomes more than a female or a woman's issue, it becomes a species issues. And when we're thinking about population decline, which is trending, um, Japan, other countries are recognized this, and looking at pandemics, then the issue of uh, sustaining our species and reproduction becomes a species issue and not a woman's issue. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Natasha, I agree with you on that, except for I would say you're arguing completely rationally now. Uh, like a scientist, which is good, but you know, I mean, what about the flip side of things, right? I mean, what if I weren't arguing okay, the about flip side. numbers? Okay, right? I'll take off my scientist hat and put on my woman hat. Yeah. 
I lost a baby in pregnancy. I almost oh, lost my that. life. So I've known the horrors of, of that and um, the, the sadness, the deep pain and anguish of it. Um, when you, there was something in the news recently, and this ties into the, the broader scope of, of the discussion. And it was an announcement in the news that said, there's so many women who are healthcare givers um, internationally, when you look at the stats between the males and the females who are on the front line, um, outside the police and the, and the fire departments largely, but in the medical healthcare industry, it, the, the percentages are, are more female than male. And the question in the news was, is this a correlation or causation? So I thought about it and I thought, for God's sake, heavens no, it's not a causation. Just because people have COVID-19 doesn't mean all of a sudden women are gonna go, okay, let me be entrepreneurs of health. No, it's innate in the, in, the, in the woman's psychology. And this lends itself to your understanding of the human animal GERD and um, the, the humanist and being, being a humanist. And also to Caleb in looking at wanting to shed maybe this animal uh, veneer and uh, allow the, the, the quality of the human brain and consciousness and thinking modalities take us to other areas that we haven't been before. It's, it is exciting, but finding that, that correlation, I think is more important than the causation because with the causation, you can go down a rabbit hole and get in a loop that is not effective. Yep. Thank you. Very right, good point. Callum, do you want to chime in or you have, do you have a comment on this or want to tag onto that or move on uh, to, to other no, topics? I, I'm, I'm, I'm always interested to know why people want to limit themselves. And I, and I confess, I didn't understand your last point, Natasha, about correlation versus causation. But I think you're suggesting that um, there are ways in which we shouldn't enhance ourselves. I, I wasn't quite sure why. And, I, and I'm actually never okay. sure why. The Sorry. correlation is that, that as an animal, we're evolving and evolutionary humanism and the whole point of evolution is to grow and evolve. If we stay animal, and especially looking at the COVID-19, it would be causation that we would need to evolve based on the fact of our vulnerability. And if we want to live and sustain our species, we're gonna to have to evolve, period, the end. And that's the core of transhumanism and to make a, a more humane humanity and to continue our evolution at the, at the juncture of so many difficulties, whether it's the COVID-19 or another pandemic or um, climate fluctuations or you know, devastations, all those different things, that's why. Um, but the, 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 I see it more as a causation there. And then the correlation I was mentioning is that it, it doesn't matter if it's the female or the male that has the tender mode or the, the passion or emotion to sustain our species. It's our responsibility to sustain our species. Thank you. Very yeah, good point, well, Natasha. Or, or, uh, yeah, please. Uh, sustain our minds. Sustain, sustain what's important <laughs> about ourselves. And, and I would argue enhance what's important about ourselves. You know, humans are very interesting creatures. I, I'm pro-human. I like humans. Most of my best friends are humans. And we have much more interesting lives than, for instance, chickens, and certainly much more interesting lives than nematode worms. But in the, <laughs> in, in the possible space of the fun that a living entity could have uh, and the, the understanding and the wisdom that a living entity could have, we're really, really limited. We, get to, we never get to travel off this tiny, tiny little speck in a small and fairly unfashionable uh, solar system in a small and fairly unfashionable galaxy. Um, there is so much more of the universe to explore and understand and enjoy. So I think we should be looking to 
enjoy more and more of our cosmic endowment. I think being human is, is a fine start, but it's a really tiny limit to place on ourselves. Yeah, I think what, you know, we'll, we'll have a question very soon here from Anna Brodsky. Uh, but I would just want to say one thing, the thing that worries me most about this discussion uh, and these issues is that this, this concept of unlimited choice of doing things with ourselves, right, kind of leaves it wide open for any permutation that, you know, whatever budget and science allows. And, and, and why not? You, I think you have to prove harm. If you want to stop somebody enhancing themselves, yeah, I, think I think the onus uh, is on you to prove harm. Sure, but I, would, I, I wouldn't be so far pressed to say what the harm is of a baby being born in a machine rather than a woman or a man for that matter, if that was possible. You know, it, uh, clearly there would be harm there in my view. And I think this is also- Why? Why? Well, because what goes on, of course, I would, we shouldn't dwell on this topic too deeply, right? But I think um, what goes on between a baby and the mother in the womb in those nine months is not something that a machine can do, right? And maybe that machine can in 500 years possibly do that, right? But there's many things that we know absolutely nothing about. And this is just what happens there, right? And we're just going to replicate it. Just like we say, you know, if you want to date, you use Tinder. You don't have to, you know, this is a, it's, it's a simulation, right? And this is, I think we should leave it at that point, you know, to talk okay. more, a little bit less about the, uh, uh, that issue. But the, the reproductive yeah. system about which you and I are much less. <laughs> yeah, right. We're, we're, some, we're sort of, we're foreigners to that discussion, really. <laughs> but I certainly wouldn't want to make rules for women on my behalf, but, <laughs> but uh, that would be not a good idea. But I, I think in general, this is what worries me most. A, um, this sort of unlimited thing of saying that, you know, we'll do whatever is possible. And the second one is, the money is involved with technology, right? The money involved that comes out of turning human things into data and into technology is outblowing everything else we've ever seen. And that is very tempting. Look what Facebook did to social media, right? Destroyed media for the chance of pitching us with bullshit ads, right? <laughs> and this is essentially what happened. And if the same thing is gonna happen with longevity, I'm not interested. Yeah, somebody, somebody's going to turn this into a giant business that leaves everybody else disadvantaged. I, I, I don't go along with this surveillance capitalism uh, narrative, and I don't think that, I, I don't use Facebook myself, never have. I'm a Facebook refusenik for particular reasons. Okay, uh, good. But, but, but what I see of other people using Facebook is I see it actually being a force for good rather than harm. I know that's a wildly unfashionable thing to say, but I see families and friends um, enjoying each other's relationships at, at distance in ways which were much, much harder to do before. And almost all technology is like that. Yeah, most, almost, most, yeah. most technologies, when they are introduced, um, people say, oh, you know, that, that's, that's a terrible thing and we shouldn't allow it. There's that brilliant uh, saying of Douglas Adams that any technology uh, that was invented, uh, you know, before you were born, it's just, you know, it's a normal, natural part of life and you take it for granted. Any, any technology that's invented between when you're about 16 and about 35 is really exciting, really fun, and you can probably make a career out of it. Any technology that's invented after that is bad, wrong, and it should be banned. And, and <laughs> yeah, then, you know, I, I, I know that quote, but I think the five minutes later, we, we've, we've, we've just taken it for granted. I think the example of Facebook, other social media shows that too much of a good thing right, is the bad thing. And this has become one of the themes of my speeches where I'm saying we want the good things, but how do we decide what is too much of a good thing? You know, technology in many ways has become both a religion and a drug. Uh, and this idea of saying that, you know, whatever is, the, is on the top of that 
keep is the, the target, right? I, I don't subscribe to it because I, I think we have an, enough of a, too much of a, of a good thing in so many ways where I'd be worried about the side effects, the, the externalities of technology, right? And, and how we're going to address those. I, are you going to make a business out of limiting technology? Uh, or no, I want to make a business about, in, about uh, democratizing technology. Right. So maybe that's the same point. I don't know. Maybe we'll get there. Uh, yeah. let's, take, let's take Anna Brodsky here for, for a comment. Um, Anna, are you there? Please uh, fire away. Yeah, is you still there, or you, have you gone away to get some coffee here, or you know, some of, some of the uh, social media drug as we were talking about earlier? Anna, are you there? Yeah, there's a hand raised, but okay, I'm going to allow you to talk. Okay, okay, yeah, it's not available. So, okay, we'll take a question here from the question menu, right? If you agree. So, um, we have Rui Tsegaya, Tsegaya, sorry, a question for Callum. With the existing inequality, how, we can, how can we democratize transhumanism? Don't you think that humans first need to change their value system before they change their nature? Well, uh, if humans need to change their nature and their value system, maybe transhumanism can help with that. There's a really interesting uh, article that Nick Bostrom, one of the early transhumanists, wrote um, uh, called A Letter from the Future, if I'm not mistaken in which he described or tried to describe what life might be like for an uploaded mind which was exploring the universe. And he made the interesting point that it was able to modify its own attitudes and so that it lived in a constant state of bliss and presumably had uh, extremely positive values as well without losing it, the essentialness of that mind. Um, so I don't see transhumanism as in any way uh, injurious to to healthy thinking, to positive thinking, and to happiness and, and fun. And um, I think I may have lost the thread of what the original question was, but I, I hope I, I hope I've answered well, it. But it, but it was going in a good direction there. So, so again, <laughs> if you want to chime in, uh, please raise your hand and we'll try to get you in. Don't raise your hand if you don't have a microphone because then we can't hear you. Uh, and also, if uh, feel free. I think there's a, a comment from Natasha here uh, saying the letter to Mother Nature uh, was uh, is originally from Max Moore, which I think is your husband, right? If I'm if I'm not mistaken. And I just watched, by the way, a great video on YouTube from from Max Moore about transhumanism, where he ex explains very nicely and like in pretty cool bullets. You should you should give it a try. It's uh, it's one of the best explanations I've seen so far. And uh, I think you guys have a big event coming up as well in July. So uh, do keep us posted on this. Um, so we have a couple more hand raises. Yeah, there you are. Very good. By the way, we tend to not take too many people again. So if you already spoken, we probably don't take you again. But let's try Anna Brodsky again, <laughs> okay? If you are there. So what, can you bring in Anna Brodsky? No, she's gone. Let's try Tony. Oh, there you are, Anna. Okay, turn on your microphone, please. Uh, so what, please turn on the microphone for Anna. There you are. Okay, please go away. Hi. We can hear you. Hi. Um, so I asked a question as well in the Q&A, but I actually have some comments on what you've already said. Um, would you prefer me to read out my question or make... Just ask one simple question or one comment. Do you have 30 seconds, please? 30 seconds. Okay. Then I will go for 
<laughs> okay, I have my comment, which is I think that technology facilitates equality. Privatization co-ops technology to fuel the divide between the rich and the poor. Kind of like that biblical saying, it's the work of the devil to pervert the word of the Lord. When it comes to innovation, any sort of in innovation, what defines that impact, the cultural impact, emotional, biopsychosocial, environmental impact of that innovation is the trajectory along which it develops. Transhumanism occurring along a nonviolent trajectory, for example, would facilitate attachments and connections. It could be a beautiful thing. Transhumanism occurring within access equality could see the ascension of our species into something to use the italian word oltre it's one of those nice european words which is <laughs> okay. a combination of beyond and above and transhumanism occurring along a violent trajectory like uh, your point about uh, facebook and capitalism would facilitate inequality and competition could be a nightmare high-tech torture and war we could destroy ourselves yeah i mean Anna, i i i i agree on many things you're saying i think basically technology as william gibson has said technology is morally neutral until we use it, right? Mm. Uh, and this is the challenge, right? So that's what I want to present as my humanist challenge. I'm worried about that. I'm not worried about technology per se. You know, I'm worried about how we use it. And, and we see many examples around us where we didn't use it very wisely. And certainly American style internet capitalism hasn't brought uh, equality, is my view. If you look at the US, there's six cities in the US that have gained all the workers and the money from the internet and technology boom. Everybody else does not have it. And what happens in America now, you know, people are getting fired. They're certainly not getting the, the benefit of technology. Uh, the opposite is true, really. So in that view, I would argue that we haven't really done the best we can do to make it morally more compelling, right? This whole discussion I about- I think right? perhaps our, um, I think perhaps then the conversation is less about technology and more about economics, more about whether we have an economic system which is geared towards uh, equity, towards access equality, or whether we right. have an economic system which is geared towards funneling resource access from the poor to the very rich. And very good point, Anna. Let, let's, let's switch and have Callum respond to this and then we're gonna get the next question. Thank you very much for the contribution. Um, so so Anna, Anna has, has very helpfully reminded, as well as asking a great question, she's also very helpfully reminded us of what the previous question was, was aiming at, which is whether technology uh, is, necessarily, uh, is necessarily a driver of inequality. And I would argue, and I think this is, this is the point Anna was making, that it actually tends to drive equality. When, if, you, if you look back a few, few hundred years, there were a very small number of people who had reasonable lives and most people had really horrible lives you know you 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 had more than better than even chance of dying before you were five years old uh, you would have all sorts of diseases and rotten teeth by the time you were 20 um, there was a ton of violence around all the time and you know the levels of inequality inequality were absolutely staggering slavery was the norm not not a rarity now there's lots of parts of the world where people still have a miserable time. But for most of the world, a lot of the, a lot of the really terrible problems which have plagued humanity for most of our history have been at least diluted and, and often conquered. And that's because of technology. It's because we're able to grow a lot more food now. It's because we're able to, to clothe ourselves and house ourselves 
much more effectively. Now, I, I don't see any reason why more and more technology won't continue to do that. I think it will drive- Well, here's my, here's my argument. I, I agree with you on this, but clearly, uh, because we're on the exponential curve, right? What is true in the beginning of the curve does not have to be true when we go up the curve because the, Im the impact is much larger, right? So a, a technology like a steam engine or a railway or you know, even the internet itself, it has increased that curve, but now we're at the curve to where almost everything we have imagined will become possible, right? And therefore, I think different rules apply there because the magnitude is much more existential. I mean, it's one thing to take a cholesterol pill or whatever many 300 million people are taking. Uh, and it's another thing is to go inside and change your genome so you will not have high blood pressure. Yeah. So on the exponential scale, I think it's much more existential and much larger. The, the whole decision making is larger. And this is why I'm, I th say it's kind of apples and oranges, you know? Well, a, uh, world, a world in which people can um, use CRISPR-Cas9 and subsequent technologies to improve their genome is a world where, where we will have less disease. And there's, there's probably no greater form of inequality than the inequality between the healthy and people who have crippling diseases. You know, sure, it's much worse as, than that. As long as we stay with diseases, you know, but if we use the technology, like, like William Gibson says, in other ways that is not to address diseases, which is, of course, above all, clearly good, right? But super soldiers, right? Um, longevity for sale? Uh, we haven't talked about longevity. Well, we're, we should, we're definitely we going to go we there. Talk about, yeah, we should talk about longevity. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so, Gert, let me ask you, uh, as, a, as a non-transhumanist, how old do you want to be when you die? That's a good question. I have, I have a poll for that coming up. Right? Um, my answer on that would be, I think, getting old in a good way. I would propose that living longer would be, in principle, good. Uh, unlimited, of course, that's an illusion anyway. Um, why, why is that an illusion? Well, I think, let's say on the next sort of horizon of the next 20 or 30 years, this is not a, I mean, we're talking about extension rather than unlimiting. I know. don't think we'll get terribly far towards transhumanism in the next 20 years. I think trans transhumanism really kicks in beyond that, probably. Yeah, after the singularity curve comes in, basically, right? But I, that question to me is difficult to say. I think, would I want to die just because I would have to die? You know, I don't know. That's a that's a good one. I have to think about that. You know? I think I think if you well, if you're prepared to say that you want to die when you get bored, rather than when what Darwin has given us, or nature, if you prefer, uh, okay. then I think you're already a transhuman. I think I think you've argued yourself into being a transhuman. Congratulations. <laughs> okay, I got to go now. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this is a good time for the poll. Thanks for pointing this out, right? So here's a poll for all of you guys out there. Don't fall asleep at the wheel here or at, at the. Uh, uh, at, at your Zoom control or your remote bar stool. Um, so we have a second poll coming up. How, uh, at what age would you like to die? Now this is a bizarre question, I know it is, but, but uh, it's a question I think that is pertinent to the discussion. And we're gonna discuss longevity right after that, I would propose and maybe also take some questions. So please uh, vote, right? Hypothetically, at what age would it be okay with you to die, assuming you will have great health? Gert, you've clearly fixed this because you've made it impossible for me to vote. I bet you've made it impossible <laughs> for all the transhumanists to vote. <laughs> That's it's right. Rigged. There's, there's, there's only one vote. That's my button here, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is the Swiss democracy style, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, please do vote, all of you. Uh, uh, we're going to do this fairly quickly. The longevity question is a, is a big one. Um, and, you know, as I'm working on my day to day stuff, which is not totally disrupted by 
by this whole virus post-corona debate, uh, this question pops up left and right. It popped up four years ago when I was writing my book about technology and humanity. And I was asking myself those very questions. And I'm thankful for Colm and many others of you uh, to prod me along uh, in, in this discussion to think further and to, to be open to this uh, conversation, which has been a very good thing. Um, it's funny to see, I think, how this discussion about technology and humanity has gone a little bit in the background now with all the current affairs, but I think it will, it will come back in a very big way after this. Right? This is, for me, this is really the number one topic. The topic about what we want to be, what we can be, what we should be, right? and what we would agree to be. Right? And you can see that reflection right now in the, in the current discussion about, of course, how we address the virus. So uh, I'm gonna close the poll. Please keep voting fast, okay? Um, I think right now we have a lot of people saying when I get bored. Well, that's obviously a, 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 an answer. It's the right was, answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna end the poll and go public with this, okay? Please, uh, you can have two more chances to vote here. We're gonna publish the, the, uh, the poll on the website, okay? So, end the poll and share the results. These are the results. So yeah, this was the low-hanging uh, offer, right? When I get bored, <laughs> right? So, uh, but we do have a substantial amount of people saying that you know they they want to be in that sort of range from eighty to one hundred twenty, right? which is interesting. Can you see the vote, uh, Callum? Yeah, I can, and and yeah, I yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear somebody explain why they want to die when they're eighty. Okay, I'm not, let's I'm not all that far <laughs> off that myself, and I can tell you it's not a great prospect. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's interesting that you know I, I hadn't expected that. I was thinking it was going to go more in the other direction. I, uh, if you have a comment on longevity on this very discussion, we have four raised hands, and David will have to wait a little bit because you were there already. Uh, let's Although try, actually we uh, didn't answer David's question, which is very rude of us. Okay, okay, let's go back to that in a second. Okay, we still have all the, uh, the whole night here. Right? So Tony, are you ready to, uh, to chime in or, or address a question? Yeah, please, Tony, fire away. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. this is Hello. the question of the internet. Can you hear me? Okay, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> thanks very much for uh, giving me a chance to speak. Uh, I start with the premise that probably we all agree that we cannot stop AI anymore. It has just happened. The genie is out of the bottle. And the only way that it could uh, perhaps be stopped is to um, eliminate civilization, if not the humans. So um, AI is there. It's a natural progression, an exponential a development, speed of development of AI that will lead almost naturally to post-humans. I would rather use post-humans than transhumans. And I agree with almost everything what uh, Calum has said, but my, my heart is with Gerd. On the other hand, thank you, thank what you. Gerd is saying, what you are saying can be married with the uh, Calum's view. I don't see any uh, uh, impossibility for a high level, say, super intelligence not delivering the goodies. It will happen. But talking about transhumans and what Gert was saying that it would make people perhaps unequal, that is not my worry. First of all, I think that the primitive transhumans, and by primitive I mean with extended memory and processing, will happen within the next few years, say within this decade. And the danger is not that we will be unequal. The danger that we will have some truly superhumans in terms of their capability to make the decision, the speed of decision, and the clarity and the length of projection 
un unparalleled to any humans. And think about Mr. Putin or Xi Jinping having clandestinely implanted uh, the, uh, that, that kind of chips in their brain. And that is the, 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 the un unfortunate aspect of transhumanism that, that we have to deal with. So overall, okay, I think it is an excellent discussion and I just continue to stay with it. Thank you. Okay, thanks for your comment, Tony. I, 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 this kind of reminds me when we talk about AI, and, and feel free to chime in on this, Callum. Uh, I, I've recently been reading Stuart Russell's new book, which is amazing, right? It's called Compatible. Uh, human Compatible. <laughs> human Compatible. Right? It's, it's such a good book. I forget the title when you read it on the Kindle. Um, it, there's a main theory in the book, which I, I like a lot, in, in that he says that AI at this point hasn't really understood or learned the objective of what it is supposed to be doing. Right? Um, so it has all of the facts and the obvious things and the binary part, right? But the objective between humans is always implicit in so many ways, right? And this is the thing I'm concerned about when I look at AI at being, you know, appraised as the panacea, right? Is that it doesn't understand the objective as well as every single person would immediately understand, right? He quotes an example of saying to the AI or a robot, go get me coffee. Uh, and the robot may not know the objective, which is you would like coffee, but no, if possible, right? Not to kill everybody at Starbucks to get the coffee quicker, right? Uh, and this is the kind of thing that's happening with AI today. I, and I feel like it, it's heading in this direction where that's becoming like the, the solution, but it really isn't. So, so the, point of, the main point of Stuart's book is to say that what uh, AI developers should do is to make sure that their systems are always uncertain about what the goal is. They always have a level of uncertainty, so they have to keep checking back with the humans to find out what the goal is. So that robot that goes off to look for coffee, it, it realizes, okay, so there's, um, there's, there's three people in the queue in front of me, and, and uh, if I wait for that queue to, to disappear, uh, my, my, my goal will be impeded because the coffee will be late. I think I'll kill the three humans. But before I do that, I'm just going to check with my owner or my programmer, programmer is the wrong word, um, the developer, uh, because that might not be part of what they want. And then he, it, it does check and, and the developer says, yeah, <laughs> you're quite right. That wasn't what we right. wanted. So, so that's his approach. I think it's called inverse reinforcement learning. It's a brilliant right. idea. And I suspect he's onto something very, very important. It's very similar to an idea that Eddie, uh, Eliezer Yudkowsky has called uh, coherent extrapolated volition. Right. Um, now, the idea that AI is the answer to all problems is, uh, until we get super intelligence, certainly, it's, it's obviously nonsense. It's just a technology, like all other technologies. It can be incredibly useful and almost certainly will be more useful than it is harmful. But nobody thinks it is, is, the, you know, is the panacea and answer to all problems at the moment. I think AI for me is a great example for you know, what I call IA, intelligent assistance, you know, that's largely beneficial, except for maybe some implications on jobs, but it's essentially fancy software that learns and can do all these things. That's one, that's what we have today. When we get to the next level, AI of becoming more and more broad, right? And then eventually AGI or ASI, right? This is where I would say at some point, it's too much of a good thing, uh, which would lead me to worry about that objective being lost, like you said, not checking back with us or checking for the real purpose, right? And that's, I think, that's but, the AI discussion there. By the way, one of the reasons why the machine has to keep checking back with the humans to, to check what the goal is, is that humans almost never do know 
what the goal is. We are all really, right. really confused about our own goals. And the 7 billion of us, well, about nearly 8 billion now, and we certainly disagree with each other violently about what our goals are, which is one of the reasons why the, 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 the machines have to keep checking with us, because we are so confused about our own goals. And this is one of the things that, that is another concern. It's basically in the same direction when I, I, I feel like computing is primarily binary right now because we don't have quantum machines yet, you know? So to go between the atoms is for humans is nothing, right? We are by nature multinary, so to speak, right? So we take all this input and then we say, oh, this doesn't matter, let's do that, right? We, we don't have this intractable problem. So well, you yeah, would make some, some, some of that fuzziness is extremely unhelpful. You know, all, all, of, our, absolutely, all, all but of our cognitive biases, uh, they, they lead us into great right. trouble all the time. But, 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 this, but this is where we get to the core, which you do away with the fuzziness in order to make it all comprehensible and efficient and take all that out, right? I would argue that some of the fuzziness is what makes the quality of us to be human. If we were to remove all of that and become binary or the machines would become multinary, one of the two, right? Then would that be good? Do you think that would be good? I, I don't think that machines are binary in, in, um, in practical applications. You know, when, when machines learn how to drive, and they're pretty very good at, at driving now, uh, they're not just yes, no, on, off systems. They, they make all sorts of really... Um, but the reality is they're really bad at driving. Flex I mean, no, they're not. Right? They're really good at driving. They're really no, they're good driving, driving. They're driving while I sit behind the wheel. Then they, then they can drive, right? But can they do no, no. something? Google now has cars going out with members of the public who haven't signed an NDA. They're not, not Google employees. And there is no driver in the front seat. Now, they, yeah, don't, and, have, and, they don't have many of those yet, but they, they do have quite a lot. And Google's cars have driven 20 million miles now without, without causing a single serious accident. There's, there's no human who's done that. I always use a self-driving car example as one that... Uh, I think proves my concept, which is that AIA, you know, intelligent assistant, is pretty good and pretty far along. And I can read my newspaper or do my emails in the car or, or eat a hamburger, right? But I'm still in the car, right? And uh, until that happens, where I'm, I'm actually in the back seat and I do nothing, that is a giant leap level five autonomous driving, right? Well, level four. Uh, you don't, you don't, level, level five um, means that the car can drive in all circumstances and in all uh, jobs. Yeah, we, we don't need that. Together level, now, yeah. le level four is fine. Right, and, and level is four is not that far off. You know, we will have level four cars out in the wild. You know, taxi drivers will be being replaced within, it's not all going to happen overnight, but it'll start within five years or so. Okay. Uh, let's leave the cars alone for a second. Do you want to go back to David's question? Do you remember what it was? Or uh, it was it was to, it was to you, so I'll leave you to answer it. Okay, what was it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that in, in great. No, I'm sorry, but I, I'm afraid I'm guilty because I think I jumped in and uh, and and derailed. Uh -huh, so so okay, so so no chance to answer the question. Uh, let's then let's hop to longevity quickly, and then we'll take some more questions. Okay, uh, just for your information, we have about ten minutes left. I know we could talk forever, and we do intend to talk forever at some other occasion. Uh, and by the way, uh, Callum and me are available for uh, those occasions, online and offline. If we should ever be able to travel again, we'd be happy to come uh, and, and put our feet into a, into a virtual fireplace. But uh, longevity, do you want to start with that? On your, do you have a statement on this? Or what, what is your position on this? Personally, I, I want to carry on living until I get bored. I think that's the, the, the right answer to that question. And, and what I'm always interested in is, is why people don't want that. I find, it I find it incomprehensible that somebody would want to set an arbitrary age at which point they have to die 
because of some strange reason like evolution or or god or mother nature or something i i couldn't agree with you more but i i, I do i think i disagree on the means of getting there uh and on the concept of that i mean if you're looking at companies like human longevity inc and 50 others like this in silicon valley right uh it's the business of longevity it is clearly the biggest possible business, you know, if it works, obviously, right? Uh, and you say the uh, technology democratizes sooner or later by itself. And I really haven't seen that very much. And I doubt that will happen here, given the magnitude of undertaking. When we talk about, I mean, you can go to HLI and you can have your biome and your biosphere and all of that scanned for $11,000, right? And I think that would be really interesting. But for that, in order for that to work, it would have to be scaled to literally billions of comparable data sets and all that kind of stuff, right? Which will require significant investment and also for a long time be the privilege of those that have the millions of dollars. Huh? And so my, my thing about longevity is, yeah, we are already getting quite good at living longer. I'd be concerned about democratizing it in the widest possible level. I think we have enough inequality based on energy and connectivity and all that stuff already. Uh, as we can I see now, go, I think don't think we're going to go from one day in which you 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 know most of us die at a hundred to the next day when very rich people can live forever and the rest of us still die at a hundred and then it takes a hundred years to catch up and then and then suddenly everybody else can live forever. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's going to be gradual. So, and and I'll bet that for a while rich people will live longer than poor people because guess what that already happens and it always always has happened. But um, as time goes on, all of us will get a chance to live for longer and longer. The, the wealthiest, the most privileged people in society will probably always be ahead of the curve. Um, but in a this sense, why, also, they are, they are guinea pigs. You know, the, the, the one thing we know about when a new technology comes out, uh, very rich people get a version of it which doesn't work very well. And they are the guinea pigs. And then after they've bought their diamond encrusted version of it and paid for a lot of R&D, it democratizes and comes to the rest of us you know, reasonably quickly, as, as it has with smartphones. I have high hopes for this. I think I, if, um, if we were to touch on that topic in terms of making it more uh, accessible for people to live longer, it would have to be democratized by decree in some way, right? Um, no, it'll, be, it'll be democratized by competition, Gert. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe in the invisible hand and all that stuff. You know, this is, I mean, we it, can clearly see. It's what's see made this affordable. <laughs> it's what's made every prior technology affordable. Yeah. I don't see why it's not going to happen again. It, it, is, it is also, unfortunately, what has, uh, has caused America the descent in chaos, uh, the invisible hand of the market, right? Which basically shoveled the money in one corner and let everybody else just suffer for it. So I, I think that invisible hand concept, I don't agree with that at all. I think if we're going to have a sustainable capitalism, right? that would be a requirement for the longevity thing to work for me. Uh, and personally, I think if we can ever solve those issues like cancer, genetic engineering, you know, we can use that. It needs to be a public property of a sort. Right? And, and that is a subject to an entirely different discussion. <laughs> but okay, uh, that was a good touch. Let's go back here. Uh, do we have uh, comments on this on longevity? Yeah, any comment on longevity? Dave, you want to get David back in? We didn't answer his question, so let's take David back in. Okay, now you get to speak again, David. So, uh, yeah, please. Are it you there? Just, it says I've just been muted. All right, yeah. let's try again. 
Now you're there. You're, you're back. fine. So the most important point to make is that transhumanists vary in their views about capitalism and to their views about to what extent we should just have let the free market to do its own will and to what extent there should be intervention in the free market. There is the libertarian wing, which tends to say, no, uh, let's just uh, follow what entrepreneurs and capitalists want to do. And there's a techno-progressive wing that says, actually, some intervention is very important. And I wouldn't want anybody to go away from this thinking that all transhumanists are great fans of the invisible hand. Personally, I think the greatest invention of the last century is probably the mixed market economy, where we get capitalism doing incredibly wonderful things. And when it fails, as it does occasionally, there is such a thing as market failures, when there is monopolies or failure to take into account externalities, then we need democratic oversight. There are, of course, democratic democratic failures and political failures too, so it's complicated, but I wouldn't want everybody to think that transhumanists are single-minded in terms of politics. In terms of longevity, I see some comments in the chat saying that we'll never solve longevity. If people wanted to solve it all through history, they always failed. It was exactly the same with powered flight. For most of history, people thought it's just a naive fantasy. And they had stories like uh, Daedalus and Icarus, which <laughs> wanted to show that it was a foolish thing. But you get into your maximum we... here, David. <laughs> Again? You get into your maximum of, of speaking time here. Well, there's uh, a lot sorry. of important points to be made. Uh, I know, I know. But, but we, we have, have the ability to overcome gravity with sufficient engineering. We will also overcome the pools of uh, entropy with human nature too. That's what life is. And we will copy what many other animal species have done. Some animal species don't age. We humans can copy from that with our ingenuity. There is plenty of space on this earth for many more people. Uh, the insight of an uh, economist such as Andrew McAfee is that we are now achieving on the whole more from less and we can do more more from less less over time we can make a much better use of this planet we can have many more people on this planet and it's for everyone it's not for the elite we must ensure by the free market and also by political democracy that everybody benefits and it will be wonderful when we can achieve it yeah, I, I agree with I agree with almost everything that David has said there. And that book he referenced, uh, More From Less by Andrew McAfee, I think is quite possibly the most important book of the last year. Uh, really highly recommend it. Great. So I, I want to jump to a question here that has been popping around here for, for a while. Anonymous attendee. <clears throat> um, so he says, my prejudice is this. Most transhumanist dream male fantasies uh, that implies a desire for inequality. Nietzsche's Uberman is always involved. So how is it different to the dream of a super race? Uh, I, think that's, yeah. <laughs> I, think, so, I think that's yeah. just rubbish. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, uh, good, good. Yeah, there, there are women transhumanists here as well. Why, why is this a male fantasy? I think that's, that's pejorative rubbish. Thank you. It got six upvotes, but I agree it's rubbish. Let's move on. <laughs> okay, so we have another comment uh, here. Yes. Um, okay, biohacking. Alexandra, thanks for the comment. So uh, interested to hear our views about biohacking. I call them now. Jump right in oh, there. with. Okay, I, I'm for it. I think we should do more of it. Seriously, I, I think, you know, any, any means at our disposal to improve our cognitive and physical abilities 
is a good thing unless you can unless we can demonstrate harm so if i, I if well, i yeah yeah if i, if I, I think if, we can if demonstrate I, if I plenty, plenty of harm with biohacking <laughs> right by hacking ourselves or by hacking other people both oh right. well I, I should not have the right to biohack you but i should have the right to biohack myself i think i tend to agree on that one i i think that is the problem is, you know, with the, the border between biohacking and what you do on the genetic level, on the, on the germ line, right, is very often confused. So biohacking being technology-wise and the other one being on the germ line of every person or rather you and then by extension everybody else. And that is the, uh, a big question I have, you know, when this happened last year with the CRISPR-Cas9 uh, operation in China, right, brought up this point to a very large degree, you know, so how exactly do we uh, decide how, to, how exactly do we come up with a dividing line biohacking putting a chip on my arm or whatever those are things that i think it's yeah it's kind of like fashion right so uh, if you're going to be like neil harbison or what's it, i think neil that has the antenna right yeah uh, yeah i i don't understand but hey you know this is a little bit okay that's your own liberty um where it crosses into other people's liberty then i would be concerned about especially when it's about upgrading versus downgrading right and I, I think this is a big discussion that we haven't really solved, you know, how the upgrading versus downgrading versus comparison. You know, it's, it's already, the divide is already there in terms of being mobile, being connected, being on Zoom or not being on Zoom or working from home, not working from home, you know, how we can balance those things. Uh, we have uh, another poll for you, and then I think we're going to wrap, wrap up very soon. Uh, before we do that, uh, Kellen, would you tell people where they can find out more about you and your... your fabulous work sure um so i have a website uh www.pandorasbrain.com pandorasbrain.com uh, where you can find my books my talks uh and i blog fairly re regularly there um and uh, i've got twitter here so i'm on uh twitter quite often at uh, <laughs> at at cc callum Great, yeah. So we are both uh, members of the Futures Agency, which is my company that, that works with futurists around the world. We have many people with opposing views, and we have lately specialized on bringing those together in packages of discussion. So it's the futuresagency.com. My website is futuristgerd.com, G-E-R-D, like gastrointestinal reflux disease, the same, but uh, ho hopefully better. My book is Technology versus Humanity, uh, techvshuman.com. It's available now in 14 languages. And again, everything is going to go online in roughly about two hours. Uh, don't go away yet because we still have a, a bit of a wrap-up to do here. And by the way, this was kind of the first test for something that we're doing in the future called The Future Show, which involves exactly this kind of conversation. So not so much a talking heads conference style, but uh, you know, a very lively personal conversation. So this serves a bit as a blueprint of this. Uh, let's go back to the uh, first poll, shall we? Or, or do you want to do the last one? Let's go back to the first one. Um, the transhumanist question. Uh, so, you get the chance to say that again to see if there's going to be a difference, if we've changed your mind. Uh, you know, don't worry about, uh, you know, having to change your mind. Please just kind of vote uh, if there's more you know, transhumanists now or uh, if there's more clarity about this. I'm afraid there are many, many questions. Uh, I, I made a list the other day because I'm working on a idea for a book for next year and I put it on the wall 
saying all the things having to do with transhumanism and this man machine convergence and the list just literally went down all the way to the floor. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay, I don't think I'm going to answer that question anytime soon, but uh, I'm happy for all of you guys to help me with this um, to see if we can reach some point of, uh, I, I, my view is this in the next 10 years, we're going to come to conclusion on many of those key issues that have been poking around for quite some time. And the technology really hasn't afforded us. But the major thing for me is quantum computing, right? When quantum computing arrives, we're entering a whole different realm of possibilities for this convergence of humans and machines. Right? I think Callum would agree on this. And then the question is, you know, that computing power, a million X available to everyone. And that's not even a decade away, I don't think. Right? What, what does that mean for this discussion, right? We don't really have the fuel for you know, making humans computable today. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. We're trying, if, if, right? if the if the exponential growth in the in the improvement of compute power uh, continues, then the machines we have in ten years' time will be about one hundred and twenty odd times more powerful than the ones we have today. In twenty years' time, they'll be eight thousand times more powerful. In thirty years' time, they'll be a million times more powerful. And Moore's law does look like it's continuing. It, it's evolving. It's it's uh, taking different forms neurological uh, chips and um, probably 3D chips and quantum computing and so on. So in, mm -hmm. in 30 years or so, we'll have machines which are a million times more powerful than, than today. That is that's going to be that's gonna have a, a huge yeah. impact. It's going to change. It's going to change everything about the nature of being human. So, so here's some here's some shared stuff. I think I think uh, I think now that you are a transhuman, Gert, you've just demonstrated <laughs> today that you are a transhuman. You've you've won the argument because <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm a simplifier, I, I suppose. But you know, the thing that has changed the most is that people think that transhumanism is really an extension of humanism, when, mm. which that wasn't a, a very small percentage before. So yeah, I, I, I suppose we have mission accomplished it to some degree. Right? Uh, let's finalize here with uh, the final poll. And then we'll all let you go into your well-deserved drinks by the fireplace here. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. So here is a, uh, a voting. Oh, there's a new button here. Allow panelists to vote. So this is how would you rate the debate? Okay, there's some technical questions about how the tech was, and we always like to hear about that. Uh, generally speaking, I'm quite happy with Zoom and the quality of Zoom, even though the navigation is sometimes a bit disastrous. But <laughs> so please rate the event. The audio was good. We enjoyed the event. Arguments were clear. Um, Gert's arguments were clear, but please vote on that. And in the end, you agree with Gert. Or, of course, you get the cheap way out agreeing with both of us. I think now the panelists can actually vote, so I tell them, please. I've, ju I've just voted for you, Gert. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, please vote S for simply yourself. Simply vote. <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the good old American habit, you please vote for yourself. <laughs> I'll, I'll confess I did that. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, okay. Very good. Yeah, we have sort of a good medium point there. Keep voting. I'm going to close it very soon, so vote quickly. The votes, uh, the polls will all be published as well very soon. And I encourage you to stick around for and, and take a look at the website, uh, theconference.digital. Theconference.digital. That's when we publish all the ongoing conferences uh, and the free events. And of course, the feature show.live, the next iteration of what we're trying to achieve here. I must say it has been a pretty amazing learning curve the last six weeks. I've never felt that much uh, in the need of reinvention. Um, and I've also connected with hundreds of people that I previously didn't have time for, which is great. 
Uh, I think this crisis in the end is also a gift in so many other ways, even though it would be quite insulting to say that to people who are struggling very deeply. Um, and I think we need to bang, uh, we need to hang together and, and show solidarity with each other. Uh, that's, I think, the key outcome from this debate. And I, I certainly hope there will be other European Commission sees it in the very near future as well. So let me publish this. Okay, how would you rate the event? And the winner is just okay, one million dollars in cash prices and coupons. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm happy to hear that you uh, you uh, enjoyed the event. Columns were clear in the end. Yeah, okay, thank you very much. That is the wrong word. I'm going to shut this down. No, that's good. <laughs> so, no, I think this was definitely a good thing. It was great to have you all aboard. Um, any final I, I, I would, Yeah, I would just like to yeah. say that, that Gert, um, the only reason you lost the argument is that you started with an impossible position. <laughs> yeah, that's usually what I do. That seems to be my specialty. You know, it's funny. You know, when I was in the music business, I, I, I went to the record labels in like 1999, and I said the music is moving to the cloud. Right, and they're like, "Oh, it, you you escaped from a loony bin or something." You know, it was like, yeah. and then Napster came along, and before we know it, two thousand five, Spotify music in the cloud. You know, so I got I got whacked a little bit for being too early. That's my that's like my fate. That's why I'm sometimes a little bit putting on the brakes now, not to be too early all the time. So, so in that in that famous comment about uh, right. whoever it was uh, Amara's law about we overestimate the short term and underestimate the long term, you're you're too much in the short term. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Yeah, I, I should, I should consider that. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, maybe I should wrap up with the Morovec paradox, which I think pretty much holds for 2050. I think, <laughs> right? The computers can do easily what is hard for us, and vice versa. Um, and that is gives, gives me something to think about, and also in this convergence of man and machine as to what that means for our future. So I do hope that we can stay connected. Uh, visit my YouTube channel, GertTube.com. Uh, and uh, look at the download of this whole thing and please spread it as far as you can. Thanks very much, Colin. Thanks, Soha, if you're still, you're, you're still behind the scenes here, but maybe you can pop out for a final wave, show your fancy background. There you are. Thank you, Soha, for, for helping with all of this. And thanks for all of you of, uh, for attending and being guests and, and uh, spreading the word. Thank you very much, and I'll see you down the road. Thank thanks, you. everybody. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.